0: Amen. I don't know a stronger encouragement for pastors particularly, but for all of us to dig into the Lord's word then think over what I say for the Lord will give you understanding. Let's pray now and ask him for understanding as we go to his word. Father, thank you for the gift of this word. Thank you that your word nourishes our souls. Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. You speak and it is life to us. And it is life particularly because in your word we see and behold your son Jesus. And everything that he has done to free us from sin and give us new life. A new hope. A new a new expectation for the future. A new strength for today. So, Father, as we go to your word now, would you help us behold Christ? Would you give us understanding as we think about what Paul wrote? And would you change us to be more like your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen, friends. We are in the second chapter already of 2 Timothy. And in this chapter, Paul is describing for Timothy what it's like to follow Jesus. If someone asked you, what is it like to follow Jesus? What would you tell them? What kind of analogy or metaphor? What would you liken it to? Is it like school, where you sit and learn and then take tests to see if you've learned enough? Or is it like summer vacation, where you're just all joy all the time? Is it a hard slog? How would you describe what it's like to follow Jesus? Paul, here in this text, uses metaphors to describe following Jesus. He uses the metaphors of war. Following Jesus is like being at war, being a soldier. Following Jesus is like running a marathon, being an athlete who competes. Following Jesus is like farming. Hardworking. Patient. Why does Paul describe following Jesus this way? This brings us to the center of the text this morning. Paul's admonition to Timothy to be a disciple maker. For Paul knows and wants Timothy to know that at the heart of following Jesus is a call to make disciples. Not just a call to make disciples, but a call to be a disciple who makes disciples. Disciples. Paul says to Timothy in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 2 You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Paul calls Timothy, first of all, to be a disciple. Following Jesus is to be a disciple. Paul says to Timothy, what you have heard from me, he says in verse two, right? What you have heard from me. We saw this last week when we saw Paul call Timothy to share in suffering by following the pattern of the sound words, right? First, uh, second Timothy one, verse 13, follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me. Timothy, be a disciple of what I have told you. He calls Timothy in chapter one, verse two, his beloved child. Because Timothy has been following in his footsteps, being discipled by him, learning Christ from him. Paul calls Timothy not only to be a disciple, but to be a disciple maker, to entrust what he has been entrusted with, right? Verse 2 again, What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men. Teach to these guys. Give them the same discipleship that I gave you, Be a disciple maker, Timothy. Notice it's a multi-generational thing going on here, right? We have Paul who has taught Timothy what you have heard from me, Timothy. And then Timothy who entrusts it to faithful men. And then these faithful men who are able to teach others also. This is four generations of Christian discipleship going on here. This is at the heart of Christian ministry. We entrust... What we've been entrusted with. This is our history, isn't it? This is how the gospel came to you and to me. Because someone took what they had heard from someone who was discipling them. And they entrusted it to others who were able to teach others, who were able to teach others, who were able to teach others, to teach others all down the line until the gospel got to you and to me, right? Right? Whoever shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with you had someone else share the gospel of Jesus with them. You can trace your lineage all the way back to this verse and beyond to Christ. That's the heart of Christian ministry. That's what I mean when I say that the the main point of 2 Timothy is the call for us as a church to leave a gospel legacy by sharing in suffering for the gospel, Right? Leave a gospel legacy and trust what we've been entrusted with. Paul says to those who are able to teach others also. And that should flag in our mind this requirement for elders to be able to teach. To be able to take what they've been entrusted with and faithfully entrust it to others. And Paul is certainly talking about that here. But that's not all he's talking about. What I don't want you to do is I don't want you to read 2 Timothy 2.2. 2, and think that only applies to pastors and therefore kind of tune out the rest of the message, right? Because that's not just pastors who are called to be disciple makers, is it? Not just pastors who are called to be disciples. All of us are called to be disciples. We see in Acts, as the early church grows, those who follow Jesus are called disciples, aren't they? And then we see in Acts 11, where the disciples are first called Christians. See, to be a disciple was to be a Christian in the early church. That meant that everybody who claimed to know Christ and follow Christ was a disciple of Christ. Everyone heeded Jesus' call that said, come, follow me. Right? Everyone was of the task of learning Christ. To be a disciple of Jesus, to be a Christian, is to be an apprentice of of Jesus to learn Christ what i mean by that is as we follow jesus as apprentices of christ or disciples we learn to do and love what our master does and loves don't we we learn to do and love what our master does and loves and what does jesus love to do he loves to make disciples That's what he did his whole earthly ministry, make disciples, those who knew and trusted and believed that he was the Christ and proclaimed the coming of the kingdom of God. That's what we're all called to know and do. All of us as apprentices of Jesus, those who are called to be disciples are called also then to be disciple makers, to do what our master does. Right. That's the Great Commission. Matthew 28 18 to 20 Jesus tells his disciples go and make disciples right make disciples by baptizing them and teaching them to do all that I have commanded you and what did Jesus command him to do make disciples right so we're all called to be disciple makers what this means is there are no Christians who are not disciple makers there's no such thing as a Christian who is just a disciple of Jesus and not a disciple maker what those are called are, those are called admirers of Jesus. And the crowds that followed Jesus were full of admirers. Full of those people that thought Jesus had some good things to say. Full of those people that thought Jesus could maybe give them some good bread. But not full of people who were in apprenticeship, apprenticeship to Jesus Christ. Who were disciple makers that were being discipled by Jesus to make disciples. The call to follow me that Jesus gave is a call that says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men, right? So all of us are called to be disciple makers. All of us are called to be disciples. So when Paul writes to Timothy... What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. That's a call not just to me and Charlie as elders here at Sojourners. That's a call to all of us. It's a call to do something that we already do, actually, if you think about it. We are all already disciple-making disciples. Here's what I mean by that. All of us at one point or another take what we have heard from our parents in the presence of our siblings and entrust it to our children who will be able to teach others also, right? All of us do that in some measure or another. All of us take what we have heard from someone we trust and look up to and we entrust it to others with the expectation that this is good and valuable and worth passing along and they will also entrust it to others. We also so often take right what we have heard from our friend on Facebook in the presence of many commentators, and we post it on our wall so that we can entrust it to others who will be able to teach others also. Or we take and we entrust it to those that work around us with the expectation that they will teach others also, right? We are discipling all the time and being discipled all the time. The question isn't if we are going to do that. But who is discipling us? And towards what end? See, being a disciple-making disciple of Netflix is really easy, isn't it? It does not take me much to see a show I really like and to tell other people about it and to recommend that they watch it too. It's a lot harder to be a disciple-making disciple of Jesus Christ. But friends, only one leads to eternal life right only one leaves a legacy for the gospel only one has at the end of the path the crown of righteousness being a disciple making disciple of jesus has great reward but friends the cost is really high and that's what paul wants timothy to know That's why he brings these metaphors to the front. He says in verse 3, after telling Timothy, be this disciple-making disciple who takes what he's heard and entrusts it to others. Verse 3, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes According to the rules, it is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Paul wants Timothy and us to know the costs of being a disciple making disciple. So he says through these three pictures, first, discipleship is like war. Being a disciple-making disciple is like being a soldier, and it requires that you be a dedicated soldier. A soldier who is focused with gospel focus on the task at hand. That's what he means when he says, share in suffering is a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits. Okay, He's not talking about soldiers who totally go AWOL. He's talking about those soldiers who get distracted from the task at hand by the cares of this world. Things that are not necessarily evil, but just entangling. This is not a call for monasticism. Okay? This is not a call to say that to be a good disciple maker, you need to go and live in a Monastery. That's not what Paul is saying here to Timothy. He's not calling him out of the church at Ephesus. He's not calling us out of the world. But he's saying we must be focused on the task at hand. We must be focused on making disciples by the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a gospel focus that aims to please the one who has called us, right? Jesus Christ. This world is full of distractions of things that are not evil in and of themselves, but things that will pull us away from being a disciple of Jesus and from making disciples of Jesus. I don't know what it is for you, but I can give you an example of my life. I try to avoid playing video games, not because they are in themselves bad. And I enjoy, especially when I can play video games with the kids. But I know that my tendency is to be pulled so far into video games that I will neglect other important things. I will get entangled in what hinders the civilian pursuits of this world and lose focus on the gospel. And I can tell you that when Christ returns, he will not be impressed with my high kill death ratio. If you're too old to know that reference, that's okay. He will instead be pleased With my focus on the task of the gospel. That's true for me. That's true for you. Often in life this means choosing the better over the good. Right? This is not just the call to turn away from evil. That's certainly there and Paul will get to that. But here is the call to turn away from even what is good for the sake of following Christ. Apprentices of Jesus are called to be on the front lines with Jesus. With this gospel focus of a dedicated soldier. Not only that, but Paul says in verse 5, an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. An athlete is not crowned unless he completes, competes according to the rules. In other words, discipleship, being a disciple-making disciple or apprentice of Jesus is like running a marathon. Competing in some sporting event. Running a marathon was common in Paul's day. And when he says, an athletes not crowned unless they compete according to the rules, he's probably referencing the requirement that in order to compete in the Greek Olympic Games, you had to train for a period of 10 months beforehand. And you had to testify that you had done the training. In other words, you couldn't just say train for a month and say I've done enough and I think I'm ready and then you get there and you show up and you say yeah I totally did that and then you go and maybe even you win but you didn't compete according to the rules you didn't have the integrity you weren't a trustworthy athlete you took a shortcut paul says don't be taking gospel shortcuts don't have In mind, using manipulation, using deception, using bending the rules to accomplish even good gospel purposes. How might that happen, you might say. Think about this for a sec. In pastoral ministry, it is so tempting to use gimmicks to try to grow a church. Right? It happens all the time. And often with good desires behind it. It is good to want a church to grow. More people to come and hear the good news of Jesus Christ. More, more fellowship to witness the love that we have for one another. The gospel and how it changes and unites us. Those are good things. But if in pursuit of that good thing. We do not pursue it according to the rules that Christ has set up. Then we've failed. That's what Paul's talking about here. It happens another way often. This is one way I'm tempted to do it, which is to shortcut the work of the Holy Spirit. When I'm talking with someone about a struggle that they have with sin and trying to help them forsake sin and pursue righteousness, it is tempting for me to try to be the Holy Spirit itself. And what happens when that happens is that I'm harsh. Right? And Paul and Peter say that elders ought not to be harsh, but ought to be gentle and patient. Right? This happens with our kids, too. When we're trying to get them to learn to follow Christ, it's really tempting to try to shortcut that process. And to try to just make them believe. Right, We want to do that because we want the good end, but we're not competing according to the rules. What are the rules? This is not rules in the sense of legalism. This is not if you follow these commandments, then your righteousness will be sufficient. Right? That's legalism. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about gospel fidelity, which we've already seen on display in Titus, which is the whole message of Titus, that grace works. The grace of God is sufficient for us, and the grace of God also demands that we respond with godliness. Right, It's the grace that comes before godliness, not godliness that makes the grace something we deserve. Those are the rules that we compete by in the Christian life. It's not works righteousness, but grace works. An apprenticeship to Jesus calls us to run the race with him according to these rules, according to the rules of grace. Not only... Is discipleship like war and not only is discipleship like running a marathon, but discipleship is like farming Right, this is probably the closest that we have since we have knudson's as farmers in our congregation I even got to ride in the combine with jim, although he didn't let me drive it understandably But I have a little bit more of a grasp of what goes on Paul says discipleship is like farming and that disciples ought to be hardworking farmers. It's the hardworking farmer, he says in verse six. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. It's the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. This call for farmers to work hard requires patience. It requires patience because what happens when you plant? You plant and then you wait. You plant and then it looks like nothing's happening. And when we are trying to be disciples who make disciples and we are starting to meet with someone, maybe to try to help them learn Christ or we ourselves are going to God in his word or going to a friend and trying to learn Christ from them. And it seems like nothing's happening. It is really tempting to be impatient It is tempting to plant a seed and see nothing coming up and then give up. But if a farmer did that, we'd call him a fool, wouldn't we? Farmers work hard, but they know that it's God who gives the growth. And the same thing is true in Christian ministry, right? Paul says that in his letter to the Corinthians. The first letter he sends, he says, I planted and Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. That's how Christian ministry works, and that's how disciple-making works. Disciple-making disciples are called to be apprentices with Jesus, working in the fields with patience. It's hard work, back-breaking work at times. But friends, the reward is great. Look at what Paul says as he describes these tasks. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. A faithful soldier has the reward of pleasing his commanding officer. Or a farmer who ought to be the one to have the first share of the crops. The benefits of their labor that they get to enjoy. Or the athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. But if he does and he finishes the race, he receives the prize. This is what Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 4. As he's reflecting on his likely impending death. He says this, 2 Timothy 4, 7-8. to 8, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. What does he say? Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord... The righteous judge will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Disciple making discipleship leads to a crown of righteousness, which the Lord will award to those who have fought the fight, finished the race, kept the faith. There's great reward. For those who are strong enough to endure the hard work. But here's the problem. I'm not strong enough. Are you? I'm weak. I'm more like a draft dodger than a diligent soldier. I'm often one to pursue shortcuts. Just ask anybody that I work out with at CrossFit. I'm often one who will settle for the microwave dinner of immediate results. Rather than the hard labor and patient crops that spring up. I imagine many of us are like that. Even if you're thinking, yeah, not as weak as Pastor Tyler. That's fine. Because even the strong are crushed. Crushed. Listen to what Paul says about himself. Paul says this in the second letter to the Corinthians, which is a great letter about weakness, by the way. He says this We do not want you to be unaware, brothers. This is 2 Corinthians 1 8. We do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. This is Paul. In Christian ministry, being a disciple making disciple, who was so utterly burdened with the suffering he faced, beyond his own strength, that he despaired of life as self. And guess what? You may be stronger than me, but you're not stronger than the Apostle Paul. And he was crushed by this. We are all too weak to be strong enough to be the kind of soldier or athlete or farmer. That discipleship calls for. If Paul. And me and you aren't strong enough. What hope is there then? What hope do we have. To reach the crown of glory that Paul talks about. And to finish the race well. To fight the good fight. It's the hope that we can easily skip over quickly. And if you were paying attention in verse 1 and 2, you know that I skipped over it. But it's so easy to just read right over it and not even think about it. So I wanted to save it for last. Let's look at verse 1 again with me. 2 Timothy 2, verse 1. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Where do we go As weak people who are not strong enough. Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. This is grace for all of our failures, friends. When we fail. When we dodge the draft. When we sit at home and eat our microwave meals. Instead of being disciple making disciples. When we cower and pursue our shortcuts because the race seems too long. When we run 100 meters and claim to have won the Boston Marathon. There is grace for our failures. What Jesus was accused of in the Gospels, listen to this from Luke fifteen two: This man receives sinners and eats with them. This man receives sinners and eats with them. That was a put down to Jesus. But that's what he's like. That's what he's like. So when Paul says, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, this is the Christ Jesus who receives sinners and eats with them. This is the Christ Jesus who will welcome you back. So friends, if you are a failure as a disciple making disciple, join the club and come back to Jesus. Right? That's what we're called to do. There is grace for our failures. But the problem that we so often encounter in the church is we come back to Jesus, we dine with him, we say, thank you, Lord. And then we say, I'm going to be stronger next time. I got this. Right? How foolish. No, we don't. We are tempted to be stronger. But that's not what Paul says, is it? He doesn't say, he doesn't say, you then, my child, be stronger. By the grace that is in Christ Jesus. He says, be strengthened by this grace that is in Christ Jesus. Not be stronger by your own strength. By trying harder next time. See, there is grace in Christ Jesus. Not just for our failures. There is grace in Christ Jesus for our weakness. The gospel, you see, friends, is good news for the weak. The gospel is good news for the weak. It works like this. Again, 2 Corinthians. Paul says this, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He's talking about all of the magnificent things that Christ has shown him. I mean, just imagine, Jesus appeared to Paul. Captured him, saved him by appearing to him in the Damascus road. But he says this, verse 7. To keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations that God has given me. A thorn was given me in the flesh. A messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect. Not in strength. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly, Paul says, of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. We might say, for the sake of Christ, then, I am content with all of the suffering for the sake of the gospel that comes my way. That I am not strong enough to overcome Why is he content? For when I am weak, then I am strong. When I am weak, then I am strong. That is the promise of the gospel for those who trust in Christ Jesus. To be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus means when I am weak, then I am strong. Not when I pick myself up by my bootstraps and try harder, then I am strong. When I am weak, then I am strong. What does this look like? How does this work? Listen to Paul again in 2 Corinthians, reading a little bit more of what he says in chapter 1. We do not want you to be unaware, chapter 1, verse 8, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him, we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. Think about how this works. We were so utterly burdened beyond our strength. Suffering brought us to a point where we recognized we were crushed. To the point even where we despaired of life itself. Whatever Paul encountered... In his apprenticeship to Jesus, it was so utterly burdensome that he thought he was going to die. But why did God bring that into his life, he says? This was to make us, he says, rely not on ourselves. This was not to make us look at ourselves and say, I can be strong enough to power through. This was to make us look at ourselves and say, I am too weak to power through. And so he says, this was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. And then what happened? He relied on God who raises the dead and God delivered him. And then what did that do? That didn't make him go, oh good, now I can go back to relying on myself. No, that made him go, he delivered us and he will deliver us again. Therefore, we have set our hope on him. That's what it means to be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. It's a call. A call for disciple-making disciples to share in the suffering of Christ. In a way that burdens us beyond our own strength and exposes our weaknesses. But then in a way that because we are weak, the power of Christ rests upon us. And when we are weak, we are strong. It's a call to share in the suffering of Christ and a call to share in the strength of Christ. Notice this call precedes the call to make disciples, right? It's a call. Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men. Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus and go Be a disciple-making disciple. It's strength to do. How on earth could our weakness combine with Jesus' strength and accomplish our mission? Think about what he says the soldier's aim is to do. A soldier does not get entangled in civilian pursuits because his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. So friends, here's how it works. I want to read a short little passage from Gentle and Lowly, a book by Dan Ortland, excellent book that exposes the heart of Christ in this way. Listen to what he says. He uses this example. He says, A compassionate doctor has traveled deep into the jungle to provide medical care to a primitive tribe afflicted with contagious disease. He has had his medical equipment flown in He has correctly diagnosed the problem and the antibiotics are prepared and available. He is independently wealthy and has no need of any kind of financial compensation. But as he seeks to provide care, the afflicted refuse. They want to take care of themselves. They want to heal on their own terms. Finally, a few brave young men step forward to receive the care being freely provided. What does the doctor feel? Joy, joy, his joy increases to the degree that the sick come to him for help and healing. It's the whole reason he came. How much more if the diseased are not strangers, but his own family. So it is with us and so with Christ. He does not get flustered and frustrated when we come to him for fresh forgiveness, for renewed pardon. With distress and need and emptiness. That's the whole point. It's what he came to heal. He went down into the horror of death and plunged out through the other side. In order to provide a limitless supply of mercy and grace to his people. In other words. Christ's strength. The strength that comes from being strengthened by the grace of God that is in Christ Jesus in the midst of our weakness is the mission. By relying on Jesus this way, we fulfill the mission of being disciples who make disciples because we are embodying the very essence of the gospel. The very essence of the gospel is that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners And as Paul said, sinners of whom I am the foremost. But he says what? I received mercy so that in me as the foremost, his perfect patience might be displayed to those who would trust in him. When we do this. When we are strengthened by the grace of God that is in Christ Jesus. Friends, we embody the gospel. As apprentices of Jesus, we work alongside him on the front lines with Jesus, running the race with Jesus, working the fields, laboring side by side with him. And we do it by being strengthened by his grace. That's what it means to be a disciple making disciple. Let's pray. Jesus I confess on my behalf and I'm sure I'm sure all of us in here how hard it is to embrace weakness how hard it is to be strengthened by your grace because we would rather do it ourselves Lord you know we can't we're not fooling anybody So we ask you to help us. I ask on on behalf of all of us in here. Would you strengthen us by your grace? Capture our hearts to be dedicated with gospel focus. To making disciples. Capture our hearts to not follow the paths of shortcuts that we see around us that seem good. But to trust that your grace and the godliness it produces in our life is sufficient. To trust in the means that you have given us of, of word and worship. And to have the patience of a hardworking farmer to wait for the fruit to come. Trusting in your good promises. Thank you that you care us, care for us and you call us to come. And so we come. Amen.